Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. I tried to make it into the boomers class. Did you guys talk about the Sabbath? Oh, you didn't. Oh, good, so I won't ruin anybody's ideas. Well, that's fine. I wanted to, they've been, they sometimes go through the passage we're going to preach on in the morning, and I was afraid they were all in there talking about the Sabbath, and I was going to have to disappoint everything they were thinking about the Sabbath. But thankfully, they weren't on that. So we're working our way uh, through the Ten Commandments, and we're now in the Fourth Commandment, which is keep the Sabbath day holy, basically. Uh, honor the Sabbath. And this is arguably, uh, you know, one of the most controversial of the commandments. You've got quite a range of opinions on what does it mean to keep the Sabbath. And we we don't have time this morning. I've got a stack of books. Uh, It's pretty substantial that I'm reading through on everyone's opinions, as many as I can, on the Ten Commandments as I work through these. And uh, so as I'm reading through 10 or 15 different books on this, I'm coming across the several different opinions on what the Sabbath means. And so we cannot go through all of the arguments and differing views on the Sabbath, but I think it's important that we take some time to look at some of them. So at the beginning here is just going to be a little teaching, I hope you can handle, just on what is, the, what is up with the Sabbath. And there's a spectrum of belief concerning the Sabbath. Uh, on the one end of the spectrum, you have people that are called Sabbatarians, is the fancy term for them. We, we call them Sabbatarians. They are people who hold very strictly to a Sabbath day observance. You'll know some of them as Sabbath, Seventh-day Adventists. You ever heard of the group called the Seventh-day Adventists? There actually is a church in Bedford, a Seventh-day Adventist church in Bedford. But uh, I have relation that are Seventh-day Adventists. I know some other people have relation that are Seventh-day Adventists. They are in this group of Sabbatarians Clear on this end, the far end of the spectrum, of very uh, legalistically keeping the seventh day Sabbath. And over here on the other end of the spectrum, you have what I would call antinomians, which is people who basically are against the law altogether. And they would say the law has no binding authority on Christians whatsoever anymore. And so included in that is obviously, well, we don't have a Sabbath command. And so in between this spectrum of Sabbatarians, Seventh-day Adventists, back a little bit from there would be Lord's Day Sabbatarians, people who hold Sunday as the new Christian Sabbath, and then all down every variation to people who think um, that the Ten Commandments now really only have nine, ten, we only have nine Ten Commandments. They say, well, there's nine, well, I believe all nine of the Ten Commandments is kind of the dumb, silly thing they would say. I believe all nine of the Ten Commandments. But they would kind of just throw out this Sabbath one. And so trying to you know, negotiate, navigate these ideas is, is important work. Where do we land? Because 
If you remember, when I started out the sermon series, I said the Ten Commandments are still binding upon Christians today. That when we come to the Ten Commandments, there is a moral law that is contained in the Ten Commandments that we are to honor as Christians today. So then, what does it mean for us in the New Testament church to honor the Sabbath? Quick note before we get to there, on the seventh day, Sabbatarians. They are people who hold to a Saturday Sabbath. Um, Sometimes this is confusing to people, and so I want to take some time to explain this. The Jewish Sabbath was Saturday. It was the last day of the week. And if you look at your calendar, you ever get confused that Saturday, we feel like Sunday is the last day of the weekend, but it's actually the first day of the week, right? So Seventh-day Adventists, Seventh-day Sabbatarians hold strictly to a Saturday Sabbath. They will have Sabbath school. And they, instead, and they would consider all of us who work on Saturdays and go to church on Sundays as fourth commandment breakers, that we are breaking the Sabbath because we are not keeping the Jewish Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath, the one that Jesus would have celebrated, would have been on Saturday. That would have been the one day a week that they had off from work and they met for worship during Jesus' time in synagogues on Saturday. And there's a lot of logical strength to this argument, right? It's like, well, Jesus kept a Saturday Sabbath. God worked six days, rested the last day of the week. There's a lot of logic to it, but I think that's about the end of it. Biblically, when we get to the New Testament, we see that the idea of keeping a Saturday Sabbath is found nowhere in our New Testament. In fact, we'll see that quite the opposite is found when we read into our New Testament and look into how the New Church, the New Testament Church, celebrated uh, their gathering time. So we have the Seventh-day Sabbatarians. They got a decent argument, but I don't think it's biblically correct. And then we have Lord's Day Sabbatarians. And those are those who say that Sunday is the new Christian Sabbath. And now what we do, and, and this is kind of what you maybe have grown up with around here, it's very popular, and there's a lot of uh, historical uh, support to this argument. Uh, going back to merely about the 1700s, they started uh, talking about the Puritans, started calling Sunday the Christian Sabbath. And it was, in a way, it was their, you know, it was, it was their, their um, ability to back up civil law and uh, in, in getting people off of work on Sunday by calling Sunday the Christian Sabbath. This approach is, is more biblically faithful to the New Testament. We see in John chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse 19, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, that the New Testament church did gather on the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, they gather in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, as they're gathering on the first day of the week to take up an offering. John chapter 20, it talks there that they are gathering on the first day of the week as was their new practice. Acts chapter 20 is the story of, remember, Eutychus is the kid who fell asleep in the middle of the night, fell out of the window and died, and then Paul had to go down and bring him back to life. They were meeting on the first day of the week. And so the Lord's Day Sabbatarians are those who hold to that Sunday is the new Christian Sabbath. So we should cease from work. We should come to corporate worship on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. But as with all Sabbatarianism, this idea of Sabbath keeping for Christians, it quickly devolves into just uncontrollable legalism. So how much work is too much work? 
if, if we're going to go down the route of Christian Sabbatarianism and that the, the Lord's Day is, is this new, Sunday is this new Sabbath, where do we draw the line? How much work is too much work? And, and you begin to build all of these rules and all of these ideas about and binding other people's consciences on how much work you can do. And this is exactly what Jesus ran into with the Pharisees. Jesus says a lot about the Sabbath. You ever, I mean, it's, it's a thing that we don't even contemplate in our minds today, this argument that he has with the Pharisees several occasions about doing more work than he should do on, on the Sabbath, right? He heals a man. He, he, he's got all these things that he's doing. His disciples walk through the fields and they, they um, knead the grain and eat it and they call him a Sabbath breaker. But they, they, they just constantly, it devolves into legalism. Here's some crazy examples I'll share with you that I ran across in my studying of, of how the Pharisees had such a hard time thinking about the Sabbath. They, they would pose these ethical questions. If, if an older lady, while crossing a field, fell down, was unable to get up, unable to get home, is it okay to take a litter, which is you know what they'd carry you on, is it okay to take a litter, a stretcher, out to her, put her on it, and carry her back home? And the concern was not that carrying this woman would be labor, but that if they picked the litter up, which is on post, and it scratched the ground, they'd be plowing. And they didn't want to plow on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work, no plowing, no furrowing, so you can't pick up the litter because then, boy, if you, if you caused a furrow in the ground, then you're breaking the Sabbath. That's the kind of legalism this devolves into. If Another one is that if you woke up on the Sabbath day, went out to the hen house, and there's an egg sitting there, what do you do? Was this egg performed? Was this egg laid on the Sabbath? Who do you ask? The chicken doesn't know if it laid on the Sabbath or not. If this egg was work performed on the Sabbath, it should be thrown out because it was work performed on the Sabbath. However, if the chicken laid it last thing Friday night before the sun went down and you just found it on Saturday, it's all good because it wasn't work performed on the Sabbath. But the chicken doesn't know, it can't answer you. So what do you do? This, these are the questions they would go into about how, how much work is okay. If This one's crazy. If, if someone had rubble fall on them, say a building collapsed or something, and they got underneath a bunch of rubble, you were able and you were allowed to to pull off the rubble to make sure the person was alive, could breathe. But once you established contact and found they were okay, you were not to dig them the rest of the way out because that was too much work on the Sabbath. So wait till, wait till sundown and then we'll dig you out. You okay? I've done as much as I can do. Let's let you hang out. I'll come back and dig the rest of you, dig you the rest of the way out once the Sabbath is over. And this is the kind of insanity that would come along with the Sabbath that Jesus had no place for. Jesus had no place for this kind of a radical, legalistic mindset towards the Sabbath. If you've got your Bible out, take it to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew, the first gospel in your Bible, first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 12 is this example of Jesus confronting the, the, the Pharisees on the issue of the Sabbath. At the time, Jesus, here's, here's Matthew chapter, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, 
and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Here, Jesus and his disciples do what is considered unlawful in their modern times on the Sabbath. They take this grain and they thresh it. When they're, the, the, the problem isn't that they're stealing grain or anything like that. It's that they're doing work by rubbing the chaff off of the grain and eating just the grain. They're, they're breaking the Sabbath. They're harvesting in this field. And Jesus brings up a couple of examples of people breaking the law, because, but, uh, things, breaking them law by all standards, but yet being permissible by God. Jesus is not here wiping away all the law, saying, oh, it doesn't matter as long as your heart's in it. He's not doing that at all, but he's diminishing all uses of the law in an unnecessarily crushing way. He's saying with this quote from Hosea 6.6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, that if you keep all the extreme forms of Sabbath keeping, and yet you have no love or no mercy in your heart, you have not fulfilled the law. And it ends this passage with, this powerful claim from Jesus that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath. He claims a special authority in regards to the Sabbath. And when you get down to it, the Sabbath really is all about Jesus. And we're going to get there in just a little bit. But the other end of the spectrum we know we talked about was this antinomianism. We've got the Sabbatarians. And then we have on this end, the, the antinomians who claim that the law has no effect over the Christian. And their, their opinion doesn't fit in with the New Testament at all either. The New Testament explicitly states otherwise that we are to gather as churches, we, that the law uh, does exist. If you read your epistles, Paul talks about the condemning uh, nature of sinfulness. So I need to say this, point, this much. You may have different opinions than me on this, and that's going to be okay but you need to be able to explain where you land i have good friends that land somewhere else than me on what is the point of sabbath keeping is it lord's day sabbatarianism or is it something less than that but i and it's okay to differ a little bit on this but be able to explain why you can so my position is not a sabbatarian position I do not see in the New Testament an equaling of the Lord's Day with the Sabbath. And so I would not refer to what we're doing here as gathering on the Christian Sabbath. I would not refer to our gathering on Sunday as the Christian Sabbath. But I would say that doing this is fulfilling the fourth commandment. I would not call it the Christian Sabbath, but I would say it is fulfilling of the fourth commandment. Why would I say this? A few rules just to talk about uh, reading your Bible, talk about the, the exegesis, the understanding of how to read your Bible. There's a few rules to keep in mind when you read your Bible. And the first rule you want to keep in mind always is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So if you, you have an idea, if you're studying a concept or you read something in your Bible and you wonder what that's about, a rule to keep in mind is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So if you come to a concept about justification or things like that or faith, 
you want to take this verse that's about faith and look at it in light of all the other verses about faith and letting Scripture interpret Scripture. That these verses, this is one cohesive book under the authority and authorship of God that speaks about, each, about itself. And so we want to, when we, when we read our Bibles, to let Scripture interpret Scripture. God is the author of all the Scripture. And so many times it's helpful when you find a difficult passage to look at what other passages say on the issue. And another rule that's related to that one is to interpret the unclear passages in light of clear ones. That makes sense? Let Scripture interpret Scripture and let the, let the clear passages interpret the unclear ones. So if you come to an unclear passage or an unclear concept like the Sabbath law, you should let clear passages help you interpret unclear passages. So does our New Testament, does the New Testament church say anything specific and abundantly clear on this issue of Sabbath keeping? And yes, I'm glad you asked. It does. Romans chapter 14, Paul Paul speaks twice about this issue of special days. And so my position comes from this idea that Paul is speaking authoritatively under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the New Testament church on how we are to regard things like this. This is uh, Romans chapter 14. Here's Paul writing to the church at Rome. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or fall, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. There's a key verse there. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thank, gives thanks to God. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Paul's writing here is, is very clear, very clear about the word of the Lord on the Sabbath. We should, uh, that, that he's saying that certain foods uh, are considered good and that's okay, and some foods are considered not good. Some people consider one day better than the others. Ceremonial Sabbath is, is are we able to bind each other's consciences? Am I able to definitively say up here, this day is special, and if you don't honor this special day, you are breaking the seventh command, or the fourth commandment? Paul says, no, each person should be convinced in their own mind that a day is special or isn't. And, and likewise on the food. If you, if you personally feel like you shouldn't work on Sunday or Saturday because it's a day you're going to give to God, okay, good for you, great. But you cannot tell anyone else, you cannot go to work on Sunday because it's the Christian Sabbath. That's what Paul is talking about here. One other place, just two of these to keep in mind with your Sabbatarian friends. The other place is Colossians chapter 2. We'll get to something more. We'll get out of the teaching segment here soon. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23 says this. Paul writing, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
Paul is clear about the word of the Lord on, regarding the Sabbath. We should not let anyone hold us to an obligation to a festival, which would have been an annual gathering, a new moon, which would have been a monthly gathering, or a Sabbath, which would have been a weekly ceremony. The weight of these two passages and the clarity of these two passages interpret for us this unclear idea of what do we do with the fourth commandment. And it's clear that Paul is saying one holds this day special, somebody else holds this day special. Judgment should not be held one against the other. Each should be fully convinced in their mind. And Paul says these things are actually a shadow of what is to come. No one should judge us in regards to a Sabbath. The fourth commandment is a rare command that has ceremonial aspects within it. We talked about the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral law, and that the Ten Commandments are the moral law. We see in the fourth commandment all of these coming in here. Moving on. So then what? Are there only nine commandments? I just have done all this work. Don't worry about the Sabbath. There's no such thing, no such thing now as the Christian Sabbath. Don't worry about it. Let's just throw out the fourth commandment and all go home. Are we done? No. No, we are not done with the fourth commandment. There is still a moral command that comes down to us from the fourth commandment after the revelation of Jesus Christ as the Lord of Sabbath. So two things in the remainder of our time I'm going to emphasize. We should honor the Sabbath, one, by resting in Jesus, who is our Sabbath rest, and two, by joining in corporate worship, extolling and worshiping that Jesus who is our Sabbath rest. We honor the Sabbath. We keep the fourth commandment as New Testament Christians by first and foremost resting in Jesus. And secondly, by joining in corporate worship like we are all doing this morning. The main spiritual principle that we receive in the fourth commandment is the command for us to rest in the finished work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. There are two types of resting in Him, present day rest and future rest. Jesus brings present-day rest by accomplishing our reconciliation on our behalf. This is what he's communicating to us in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. It's a pretty famous passage. You probably have it memorized. I've said it at different points. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus walking along and, and talking. He says this in verse 25. At this time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 28, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Sound like Sabbath there? Does that sound like Sabbath to you? Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. I would say Sabbath. You'll find rest, peace for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This world is full of weary travelers. Full of weary travelers. Are you weary? Does this life get you down? And I've got to be honest, I've had, it's interesting the way that God providentially arranges things, even over silly things like the sermon series that I've set up, that I would have to be forced to be thinking this week when I've been weary and tired, that I have to think about the Sabbath rest that is found in Jesus Christ. 
I've had real moments of weariness this week. But as I, I noticed an interesting thing in the moments of my weariness, I'd, I'd walk on the man, and maybe it was just the heat. It didn't help any. It's kind of hot out this week. Maybe it was the heat. But just this weariness, and I find this, this thought in my head that I need to do something to get myself out of this weariness. You ever have that thought, I'm, I'm weary or tired or what's going on and, conf- and just upset over life, and you start thinking about what do I need to do to get myself out of this weariness? What do I need to do? What works do I need to perform to make myself feel less weary? But the beautiful irony of the gospel is that you only gain when you give up trying to gain. When you lay down your works, repenting of your self-sufficiency, trying to make myself less weary, when you give up of these works and you rest yourself in the finished work of Christ, giving up on your own accomplishing of something, only then has anything really been accomplished. Only then has anything really been accomplished. Is Christ, to honor the fourth commandment, to keep the Sabbath, is Christ your resting place? When you are weary and heavy laden, where do you turn to for peace and for rest? We are to have present day, present day rest based upon the reality of our reconciliation to our God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. What I mean is this. When all the world is breaking down around you, where can you turn? When all the world is breaking down around you, where can a person turn? For our culture today, we turn to distraction. TV, our phone, our social media. You see kids walking around today. They are just doing this with their phone, looking down the whole time. Distraction, distraction, distraction. And those things, they work for the first 15 to 20 seconds. And then all of a sudden, you're back to nothing. What kind of power does that really have to handle the problems of our life? The love of God for us seen so clearly in the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, comes to us not because we have earned it, but because God has set His affections on His people and loved them even when they did not deserve it. God should not have rescued you from your sins. God should not have rescued you from your sin. You did not deserve this. We should have been given justice. God should have, the moment Adam and Eve rebelled, wiped out the whole project and been done with it for a rebellious creation. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. We don't deserve this mercy. We're all transgressors, and we are all deserving of His justice. And yet, if you know Christ in a saving way, if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have done so only because of His abundant mercy and grace, God pursued you when you did not deserve it. God pursued you when you did not deserve it. Who are we that God would pursue? Who am I? Who am I? As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. Psalm 103, whatever verse that is. Who am I? Who are any of us that God would consider us? We are a grass, a flower that blooms and fades away, yet just as quickly. Yet God has not overlooked you. God has not overlooked me. Romans 5, 8, we read this morning in our call to worship. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember this, Christian. 
When life goes upside down on you, God loves you. Look to his son. Look to his son. Look to the peace, the Sabbath rest he secured for you with his very own life. Jesus gives up his eternal Sabbath in heaven to come to earth and suffer our unrest so that through faith in him we would be given his eternal Sabbath, that we can rest in Christ. Why would we get this? Why? Because he loves you. And no amount of shaking in this life will ever shake you from his hand. The honor, we honor the Sabbath when we rest there in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus also brings us future rest. The day is coming. We look back to the cross and we look forward to the coming future rest. So what we do in communion is celebrate the future. We, we celebrate the past of his broken body and blood and the future when we will join him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So I t- said two things. We honor the Sabbath by resting in Jesus. Get that one. Get that one. Secondly, we honor the Sabbath by joining in corporate worship. This is the second principle we get from the fourth commandment, to not neglect corporate worship. I've already brought the three verses there that, that are... I brought out three verses of the church that gathered on the Lord's day. The writer of Hebrews just gives a clear admonition, Hebrews chapter 10, for us to not forsake the gathering together of the saints. Hebrews chapter 10, verses, uh, we'll start in 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews gives a clear admonition to not forsake the meeting together of the saints. He states there that our purpose is to stir up one another, to love and to good works and for encouraging one another. Which brings me to this question. When did church become a burden? When did church become a burden to have to bother to get up and come to a Sunday morning gathering of the people. People talk about Sunday fun day. If you're not on social media, you probably don't see this, but it's a thing they put out, they'll hashtag Sunday fun day. And what they mean is not Sunday fun day. I got to go to church and encounter the living God and take communion and sing worship and gather with the saints. They mean Sunday fun day. I got to go do some recreation on Sunday. Therefore, this is my Sunday fun day. There are many And I don't mean just unbelievers, but those who claim to be Christian, that when the church is gathering and they can find basically anything else to do, they will do the other thing over gather with the saints. Why? Why has church become this burden? Why do you come here? Why do you come to church? And if you don't come to church with the idea of refreshing your soul and reinvigorating your spirit, you're coming with the wrong thing in mind. 
it's, it's popular in the modern church that we've poisoned this idea. It's popular that in order to get people to keep coming, there's this great movement. You come in the door, I got a job for you. Here, do this. We want to make sure we keep you coming. Okay, you're going to come through the doors. Here's something to do. Here's an office. Here's a position. Here's a role. Come in and serve. And, and they took on this language that church was not where you came to be served. Church is where you came to serve. And I want to say, hold up on that. Let's stop. Church isn't where you come to be served. Absolutely. If you come here because you, it's a place for you to serve, great. We want you to serve. <laughs> Let me say that. But I want you to be served here. That we gather to worship the living God, to sing praises to our God who has saved us and to rescue us, has rescued us. We gather that we might be refreshed by the good news of the gospel, that we might be honest about who we are as sinners and then rejoice that this is what Jesus has done for sinners. So that, yes, Sunday, fun day, though I hate the idea of it fun, but, but uh, just trite funness, but the idea of refreshment, restoring joy in our hearts, we gather that we might receive the good news of the gospel. And yes, gather, keeping the Sabbath, resting in Jesus, and rejoicing with the saints in what our God has done for us. If, you, if we operate off this mindset of you come to serve, pretty soon all you have is a group of obligated attenders and very few, if any, true glad attenders. I want you to be here. I want you to be here to receive. You may not be able to dress it up the best. It may not, uh, the singing may not be your style. The guy up front may not cut his hair the way you like him to, and maybe he goes on too long, or maybe he talks too short for some of you. I don't know. But the question is, are you being fed the good news, the gospel, that we'd be refreshed in who Jesus, our Sabbath rest, is for us? I don't have time, but three guiding thoughts for, think on this. Guiding thoughts for your worship on Lord's Day. Preparation, participation, reflection. Do you prepare for this day? Saturday night, do you think, I shouldn't stay out all night? All you people out, as I look around the crowd, probably out partying all night. <laughs> Maybe not the crowd to argue that with. But, uh, you know, preparation, saying a prayer that God, our hearts will be inclined towards you tomorrow morning as we go to church. Preparation, showing up on time and, and putting our thoughts towards him. Participation, engage in what we're doing here. I spend a lot of time on my sermons, like, as you can tell. And, and, I, and I put a lot of work into them. And it blessed me more than anything. Last week, Darla, we got done. And she said that scripture really just spoke to her. And what she was referring to was the scripture reading that we have from Psalm 119. Nothing from what I'd done the work on. This isn't to slight her. But I mean, it, it blessed me participating in every aspect that you never that you're here to hear from God to worship your savior that he would move and rejuvenate and refresh you in any way through the singing of all I have is Christ or the scripture reading or that God would have mercy on you and you'd be blessed from the preaching of the gospel or taking communion participation in every aspect of the service and reflection when you go home to think on what we've discussed to talk with other people about what God has done for you in the gathering of the saints. The heart of the moral meaning of the Sabbath law is this, that in the worship of Christ, Him as our Sabbath rest, gathering together, it is in worship that we are to find our primary refreshment. What do you do when you seek refreshment for your soul? 
What do you do when you seek refreshment for your soul? Do you find your rest in Christ alone? I earnestly desire that we as a church would long for the moments when we gather together to sing to God, to listen to God's word, to pray together, to be encouraged by the gospel together, to remember Christ and his finished work in communion together, that we would long for these moments and be fed by them. We are a wearied, worn out world. And to find Christ is to find true Sabbath rest. To find Christ, to rejoice in him, to gather with others and rejoicing in him is to honor the fourth commandment. As Psalm 62 verse 1 says in the NIV, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will never be shaken. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning to find our rest in you. I know, I know that there are many of us who have gathered who are hurried in life and rushing from thing to thing and, and working hard on this and that and the other. And Father, I want us to gather and rest in who our Savior is for us. Help us to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.